0: Well, we're now going to keep looking at Acts chapter 18 there. Uh, kids, you have your worksheets there. Maybe you can keep an ear listening out as well. And uh, as we heard, there will be a question time later on. And kids are particularly encouraged to ask any questions that you have, uh, both kids and adults. Uh, so let's um, pray as we come to look at this again together. Heavenly Father, we do ask that this time that we spend in your word, um, both for kids and adults uh, alike, will help us to know and believe the goodness of the good news that we have through Jesus, that we will want to trust it for ourselves, and we will want to tell it to other people as well. Amen. And this morning, we are going to be talking about something that I know makes a lot of us feel uncomfortable, that is, telling other people about Jesus. That's something that we all should be doing, but I know that a lot of us, myself included, often feel uncomfortable about doing it. And Christmas in particular is a time when people are more willing to talk about Jesus and more willing to accept an invitation to church. And so you're going to hear me over the next couple of weeks, as I already have, encouraging you to be making the most of those opportunities. But I know that it's still hard we still get nervous. We worry that we won't know what to say. We worry about the negative reaction that people might have towards us. We worry that what we say won't work. And all of those are perfectly understandable concerns. In fact, a lot of those negative things actually happened when Paul came to Corinth that we just read about in in Acts chapter 18. But despite that, and despite some of those negative things that can happen, I think what we see in Acts chapter 18 when Paul is in Corinth should give us a motivation for why we should want to speak about Jesus anyway and what that might look like, what we might do. And there are three kind of points that I want to make, and we're really just going to focus on the first part of Acts chapter 18. And the first point that I want to make is that telling people about Jesus is a team sport. It's a team sport. You may or may not be aware that the book of Acts is more than half of it is about the Apostle Paul travelling around the world, visiting different cities, telling people about Jesus. And Acts chapter 18 is no different. When he arrives in Corinth, that's what he goes there to do. Now, just to give us an idea of where Corinth is, I looked it up on Google Maps and it's about an hour's drive from Athens that we looked at last week. I don't think it was that quick for Paul, although the traffic might have been a bit better, but it's pretty close to... Can you see it? It's in uh, in the little corner there. They're pretty close together. I put the whole thing up there because Rome is over there as well. So that gives you an idea of what we're looking at here. It's close by. He's gone from Athens to Corinth, and he goes there to tell people about Jesus. But very quickly we discover that there are other people involved as well. So let me read from verse 1. We got it on the screen there? No. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them. So these people, Priscilla and Aquila, had very recently been kicked out of Rome and then had to go to Corinth, where Paul was at this time. Now, we know that the Emperor Claudius kicked the Jews out of Rome around 49 or 50 BC, and the end of Paul's time in Corinth was around 51, 52 BC, after a year and a half being there. So, it was very soon after they'd been kicked out of Rome that they arrived in Corinth and Paul was there. So, they'd only just arrived in Corinth themselves and they had left everything behind, they had to set up an entirely new life for themselves in a new city, in a new country. It can't have been easy. They were refugees. I've got some friends who came to Australia as refugees, and I know that particularly the beginning of that time, coming to a new country as refugees, is very difficult. They've left their entire uh, world behind, all the people that they knew, all the things that they have, coming to a new country, often where they don't speak the language, and have to set up an entirely new life, new home, new jobs, new everything. That's the situation that Priscilla and Aquila were in. They hadn't been there very long, and they're probably still struggling to get established themselves. But what I want us to notice is that even though they were in a very difficult situation themselves their commitment to supporting the work of spreading the message of Jesus. We're told that Paul was the one doing most of the speaking, but Priscilla and Aquila opened their home to Paul in hospitality. They let him stay with them and they gave him a job. Have a look at verse 3 now. Because he, that is Paul, was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Paul, was uh, his trade was making tents and that was theirs as well. This is where that expression tent-making comes from, which you might have heard, the expression tent-making. And that's what he did. He stayed with them and he made tents during the week so that he could spend the rest of his time, on the weekend in particular, telling people about Jesus. And that's what he did. Verse 4. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So that's Priscilla and Aquila and already we're beginning to see the teamwork that's involved in telling people about Jesus in Corinth and particularly given their situation, this was extraordinarily generous of them. And as we read on into verse 5, the teamwork continues where we meet Silas and Timothy. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So Paul's tent-making job didn't last for very long because Silas and Timothy came to Corinth where Paul was to help as well. And notice what changed when Silas and Timothy arrived. Paul was now able to devote himself entirely to preaching. So it seems that Silas and Timothy were able to financially support Paul, so he didn't have to work as a tent maker anymore, but he could spend all of his time preaching and telling people about Jesus. So the point that I'm making is that, yes, Paul is the one who is specifically mentioned as doing the the teaching about Jesus. He's trying to persuade people that Jesus is the Messiah, but there are all these other people who are involved in supporting that work in important roles. That is, telling people about Jesus... Is a team sport. Now, I haven't watched all that much of the Socceroos this World Cup. Um, I kind of value my sleep a bit more than that. Anyone been watching the Socceroos a lot during the World Cup? A few, yeah? Uh, I have watched a couple of games, though, and I have also seen some of the interviews after the games. And one of the interviews after the Denmark game that got us into the final round of 16, one of the things that I noticed was how everyone seemed to be talking about the great teamwork that the Socceroos have had this World Cup in particular. They were saying we've, worked re- we've really focused on teamwork and not just the 11 players on the field at the time or the 11 players plus the reserves or plus the coach, but the whole kind of support staff as well, the, 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 the coaching staff, the other support staff, I kind of imagine the cooks, being back at the place where the Socceroos are staying, being just as committed while they're cooking the dinners, being just as committed to the outcomes for the Socceroos as the people who are on the field playing the game at the time. And so in that game against Denmark when... Who was it, scored the goal? Lecky, Matthew Lecky. thank you. When Matthew Lecky kicked the goal, it was his boot that scored the goal, but behind that, there were so many people on the team, the people on the field, the people in support, the the, um, the coaching staff. It was a team effort. And that's also true when it comes to telling people about Jesus. It's a team sport. Different people working towards the same goal, doing different things. But here's the other thing I think is worth noticing about the teamwork that goes on. It's not as if... Priscilla and Aquila only ever do hospitality and never actually speaking about Jesus. In fact, we discover that at the end of the chapter, they go to Ephesus and teach Apollos about Jesus. And then Apollos goes back to Corinth and continues teaching people there. And in one of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, we discover that Silas and Timothy, the the financial support guys, were actually involved in teaching people about Jesus as well. So it's not as if some people only ever do the support work while other people only ever do the teaching. And just as an example of that, I used to go every year after Christmas for two weeks to Beach Mission. I don't know if you know what Beach Mission is, but we would go for two weeks to a caravan park on the south coast and we would set up all these tents and we would stay there for two weeks and tell the people who were on holidays there about Jesus. Now, one year when I was there, I my job was to look after the equipment. That is, to make sure the tents don't fall down, to make sure the equipment is all working properly so when the wind's blowing, I kept having to go around and tighten all the ropes so the big marquees didn't fall down. And when there was torrential rain, I had to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and dig trenches so the rainwater didn't go into the tents and went around them instead. All, you know, fun stuff like that. But I did that so that other people could focus their time on telling people about Jesus. But that didn't mean that I wasn't also talking to people. I was, just not as often as those other people were. It wasn't my main job like it was for them. But then on other years, it was my main job to be telling people about Jesus. My point is that the whole team was committed to the same thing. We might play different roles at different times, but the goal is towards telling people about Jesus. And we don't only ever do the supporting thing, and never the speaking thing. And Acts 18, I think, is an example of that. And so the the question that I just want to have to get us thinking at this point is, do you see yourself as being on the team? That together we have this goal of telling people about Jesus, whatever your role is, that we have this goal together? Because that's got to be the starting place, right? Some people just assume that, Telling people about Jesus is other people's responsibility. You know, people who are particularly good at it, people who literally it's their job. And that's true that there are some people who are particularly focused on that. But we all must see ourselves as being part of the team in that sense. And at the end I'll make some brief suggestions about what that might look like at Christmas time. But the first point is telling people about Jesus is a team sport. The second thing we're going to see is that telling people about Jesus is a matter of life and death. That is to say, it is very important. And here I want to have a look at what happened when Paul started being abused by the people that he was speaking to about Jesus. So in verse 6. Verse 6. When they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, "'Your blood be on your own heads.'" I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Paul's saying he has fulfilled his responsibility by telling them about Jesus. Now, Paul was kind of unique in that God had specifically chosen and commanded Paul to go and take the message of Jesus all around the world. God told him, you must do this. And so he did. He went from city to city telling people about Jesus. And when people attacked him or rejected the message, he would often go to the next city because there are a lot of cities in the world and there are a lot of people to be told who need to hear. And so here in verse 6, Paul is saying, well, I've done my job here. I've fulfilled my responsibility. If you choose to reject the message, that's on you. The consequences are on you. Your blood is on your own head, he says to them. Now, it's important to recognise that when Paul says that, he's actually using the language of the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. The Old Testament prophet Ezekiel, God said that he was like a watchman on a city wall, like a guard on a city wall, whose job it is to look out and to see whether the enemy is coming to attack the city. And if he sees the enemy coming, he raises the alarm so that the people in the city can be prepared for when that happens. And God said to Ezekiel, if you, the watchman, fail to sound the alarm and tell people that danger is coming, then those people are going to die. But it will be the watchman's fault because he failed to raise the alarm. He didn't warn them. Their blood will be on your head, God said. But if the watchman does sound the alarm and the people ignore it, then their blood will be on their own heads. The watchman has done his job. And Paul, when he says this, is seeing himself as being like that watchman, that God has given him this important job to do, this life or death job to do, to warn people, and he says, woe to me if I don't do it. Now, here's the thing, right? You and I are not the Apostle Paul. We have not been commanded in the same way that Paul has, that if you don't travel around the world telling people about Jesus, you're not necessarily disobeying a command of God like he would have been if he didn't do it. But that doesn't change the fact of just how serious the message is. It is still a matter of life and death. In fact, Paul says that even if he wasn't commanded to do this, the love of Jesus compels him to want to, because he knows the news is so important. He knows that this is good news because the danger is so real. And if you were here last week, you will have heard that the message was that God will judge every person in the world, every single person, and that we need to be ready for that. And so the message was to believe the good news that Jesus has come, that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to forgive us for anything that God might judge us for so that we don't have to face that judgment. That's the good news that came with a warning. Because good news of this nature is only actually good news if we recognise how serious the danger is. If we don't recognise the danger, then we won't think that it's good news. And it seems to me that in the last few decades in particular... Christians have mostly stopped talking about God's judgment. We kind of have left that to the side a little bit. But the good news of Jesus only makes sense as good news if we understand the very real danger that God's judgment is coming. And that's what Jesus saves us from. And so my point here is that we might not have the same command from God that Paul had, But even so, surely we should have the same motivation to want to see people saved from God's judgment through Jesus. It's kind of like when someone in a boat out in the ocean capsizes. They need rescuing, right? And it is some people's job to rescue them. I think of the the captain of the rescue helicopter pilot in in the Navy or in the Coast Guard or whoever it might be, That's his job. He flies in and he says to them, look, you're clearly in trouble. It's a long way to land. There are sharks in the water. There's a storm coming, all sorts of bad things. You need to be saved. And it is the captain of the rescue helicopter to to do that, to save them. But I don't know if you've ever seen on the news, sometimes it's not the professional rescue person that ends up saving that person who's capsized out in the ocean. Sometimes it's just someone who's driving past in a boat. And if anyone knows Bob Pickworth from the 830 service, he's telling me he's done this several times. Sometimes it's just someone who sees someone in danger that you're driving past and they need rescuing. You know, they're still a long way from the ocean. There's still sharks in the water. There's still a storm coming. It doesn't matter whose job it is. If that person needs rescuing if we have any kind of heart or care for them, then surely we should want to do what we can to help. I hope you can see the point of what I'm saying here. You may not be the person who travels to other parts of the world specifically to tell people about Jesus. Or you might be, and I pray that some of us will. But every one of us should at least care about the people that God has put around us and who need to know that God's judgment is coming and that we can be rescued from that judgment through Jesus. If we're on the support team, so to speak, when it comes to Josh and Nikki going to Southeast Asia to tell people about Jesus there, or the Jennings going to the Philippines to tell people about Jesus there, if we are taking that seriously, then surely we should also care enough to take the opportunities that are right around us, to tell people about Jesus, because it is a matter of life and death. It is such important news. That's our second point. And our third and final point is that Jesus has the power to protect and save as we tell people about Jesus. And we see this in the vision that Paul has in verse 9 and 10. Have a look from verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid to keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Paul had every reason to be afraid. He was facing opposition and abuse and we hear from his letter that he later writes to the Corinthians that he was afraid. And so he had every reason to move on too. He's done his job there. He's told people about Jesus. There are plenty of other cities he could get to. And I think it's fair to say that it would have been okay if Paul did move on and go to another city. But in this case, Jesus intervened and said no. I don't want you to move on yet. I want you to stay here and keep speaking here. And he gives him two reasons why. He says, I will protect you. No one is going to harm you. And I have many people in this city. Now, I don't think this means, I think what we perhaps immediately think that it means is that Jesus has this kind of secret service of people hidden around in the shadows around the city, you know, like the president has with people in black suits and black sunglasses, who are going to jump out of the shadows and protect Paul, like the Secret Service jump out and take a bullet for the president when that becomes necessary. I don't think that's what he's saying here. And that's not what happens as you read on. The protection that Paul receives is because of Gallio's indifference to what is going on. What he's saying, I think, is this. He's saying there are people who will become Christians in this city but who are not yet. That is, there are people who are my people, who I've chosen, who will put their trust in me, but they're not believers yet. And I want you to stay here so that they can hear the message and put their trust in me. And so he says, I'll protect you while you do that and I'll work through you while you do that so that it is effective, so that that happens. He's promised to protect and his promised to work powerfully through the message. Now, this vision that Paul receives is not a promise for all people at all times that Jesus will do the same thing for all of us. In fact, it's not even a promise to Paul that he will do the same thing in every place. Paul is attacked and harmed in different places. But what it does tell us is that Jesus has the power to protect, as we tell people about Jesus, And to save those people who we tell about Jesus. And if we have that Jesus on our side, that should give us confidence when we're afraid. And when we think our speaking won't be effective, that it won't work. And as I think about it, those are two of the main reasons that make me not want to speak. I'm afraid of what might happen. Jesus can protect me. I'm worried that it won't be effective. Jesus can work powerfully through my words. We are on the side of that kind of power. The power of the one who has the power to protect us and who can work powerfully by his spirit to bring people to trust Jesus and all we have to do is speak that message. Yes, we have to do it as well as we can, as winsomely as we can, but this should make us so much more confident to know that we have this Jesus on our side as we speak. Because he has the power to protect protect us and to save those that we speak to. So my hope is that this has at least begun to give us an idea of just how much we have every good reason to tell people about Jesus. People need to hear this message to save them because God's judgment is coming. The good news of Jesus comes with a warning that now is the time to turn to Jesus. And so how could we not want to tell people that? And while we tell people, we can have the confidence of knowing that Jesus has the power to protect us and to save those that we speak to. And there are so many ways that we can be involved in the teamwork of telling people about Jesus, at Christmas time, especially. And as I said, I just want to finish with a few bullet point ideas of what that might look like this Christmas. If you're going to put up de- Christmas decorations on your house or in your house, make sure that you have some Jesus-related Christmas decorations. Maybe that will prompt the conversation rather than just you know, Santa Claus and reindeers or whatever it is that people have. If you're going to send people Christmas cards at Christmas, send cards that have a meaningful Christmas message, a Christian Christmas message in them rather than just Merry Christmas. As I said before, just invite someone to church. It's not quite as terrifying as it sometimes might seem and people are often willing to say yes. Or be involved in walking around your neighbourhood and deliver postcards into letterboxes or share the social media invites. Invite someone who is lonely to your house for Christmas lunch or to wherever you're going for Christmas lunch. Who knows how God could use that? And through all of that, Pray that God will use you and your words and your life to give opportunities to share the wonderful hope that we have because of Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we admit that we do often feel uh, worried and nervous and afraid to talk to people about Jesus because we are worried about the reaction that we might receive. We just think that it won't work. Father, please help us to have your heart for people who need to hear this message, to want to see people saved, and to trust you that you have the power to do that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.